welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. Isham invites you to log on, listen, and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome, Isham Nation, to the Process This podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode number five. Today, we will be speaking with Sue Klasik, who is one of your Isham clinical educators. Sue will be talking about sterilization standards and guidelines. Such a great topic. Isham Nation, remember, the early bird deadline for the annual conference, Bringing It Home Chicago, is quickly approaching. You need to pre-register by December 31st to take advantage of the discounted pricing. That's a pretty good deal, so don't pass this up. Before we talk to Sue, let's get into our first segment, What's on my mind? So I've been thinking about technology and how much technology has improved over the years. You know, I remember using an, like one of those old rotary phones as a kid, and now I have this supercomputer smartphone, right? Technology is great, and I really try not to be one of these types of people who resist change. Um, You know, I kind of like to go with the flow. I remember when they first told me we could steam sterilize laparoscopic telescopes. I was a little cautious because I'd seen what would happen to a scope uh, that wasn't validated for steam sterilization. You know, so I was a little cautious. I didn't believe it. You could say I was resistant to the change. You know, but eventually I got over my fears, I trusted the technology, and now it's common practice. Well, not too long ago, I heard about 3D printed implants. Now, if you haven't heard of 3D printing, basically what it does is it takes a digital file or a model on a computer of an object, for example, a knee implant, and then builds the object layer by layer using plastics, metals or ceramics my first thought was wow that is awesome the ability to create an implant that matches or has that same exact fit of the patient's current anatomy pretty cool right my second thought however was how are we going to process these implants we have so many issues getting ifus the instructions for use from loaner trays Are we going to have these same issues with these specific 3D imprinted implants? Are we going to have to rely on a vendor rep to remember to bring in the IFUs? Is the material used FDA approved? And does it have those validated instructions? What happens when the implant is accidentally contaminated in the operating room? Are there cleaning instructions? Are there IUSS IFUs? Are there backup implants that we can use? You know, technology is great. And, you know, really, for the most part, we should embrace technology. But remember, anytime we have something new, we need to ask the right questions. We need to make sure that the technology is safe for our patients. So something for you guys to think about uh, when you're dealing with 3D implants. You know, this is something that we may see more and more of as technology improves, you know, as the implants become cheaper, quicker, easier to develop. 
That's what's on my mind. Let me know what's on your mind. Let me know if you've experienced these 3D printed implants by contacting me at podcast.ishim.org. And that's going to do it for What's On My Mind. Today we're talking about standards and guidelines that impact every healthcare professional, including those working in sterile processing. Standards and guidelines establish minimum levels of quality and safety that, when followed, can impact patient care. I'm joined today by my colleague Sue Klasik, clinical educator at Isham. Sue has a wealth of knowledge and tons of experience working with standards and guidelines. Sue is one of the co-chairs for the Amy ST79 Steam Sterilization Standards and sits on other various Amy committees. Sue also represents Isham at the AORN Guidelines Advisory Board, where she works with our AORN partners. The Association for Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, Amy, is a nonprofit voluntary consensus organization whose memberships are comprised of healthcare professionals such as manufacturers, scientists, healthcare organizations, independent personnel, or members of organizations such as the FDA. Although Amy is a voluntary organization, the standards are considered to be a key resource for healthcare facilities as many of those documents are approved by the American National Standards Institute and used by regulatory organizations. The Association of Perioperative Registered Nurses, AORN, is a professional organization consisting of perioperative nurses and others who are dedicated to providing optimal care to surgical patients. The AORN guidelines have several sections that are devoted to topics that directly affect the sterile processing department. Well, thank you, Sue, for joining us today. Um, So let's go ahead and get into our first question. What standards and guidelines should central service sterile processing uh, folks be following? The AMI standards, the AORN guidelines, and also the CDC sterilization and disinfection standards. And those are actually available on the CDC website for free. AMI has representation on both AMI and AORN. We advocate best practices for CSS to improve patient care and employee safety. We do this by having experience in CS and listening to the membership. When an issue is brought to us, I make a note to address it when that document pertaining to it is under review. What is the process for someone bringing an issue about a standard or a guideline to ISHM? Well, they can call or email ISHM or myself at sklasik, S-K-L-A-C-I-K, at ISHM.org. Also, at the ISHM annual conference, I'm available, so if somebody has an issue, please stop and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you. I also host the Amy Roundtable on a couple mornings, and during this informal meeting, I listen to issues from the members, and I make um, record of it. And so it just adds issues to my list for comments, and before we meet at the uh, Amy meetings or AORN, I'll do a little research on the issue to make sure I'm addressing them appropriately when the document is then open for review. Can you provide any updates on these standards and guidelines for our listeners? Sure, I'd love to. So, going in alphabetical order, let's start with Amy. In 
2018, Amy introduced a new TIR, and this is TIR 68 on low and intermediate level disinfection in healthcare settings for medical devices and patient care equipment and sterile processing environmental surfaces. So this provides relevant information for safely cleaning and appropriately disinfecting the medical devices such as feeding pumps, IV pumps, and our environmental surfaces both in the decontam room and our work surfaces that we use for preparing medical instrumentation. It's intended for use by healthcare professionals responsible for processing medical devices as well as personnel responsible for cleaning and disinfecting processing areas. So this, through this document, it recognizes that the role of sterile processing is more than just steam sterilization. We are also responsible for medical device di- disinfection processes throughout the hospital because we are truly the experts in all areas of medical device processing. And it also recommends, as I said earlier, the cleaning and disinfection of the environmental surfaces in the CS area. Can you tell our listeners what other documents Amy is currently working on? We're working on quite a few, um, and I'll go through them. The first one is Amy ST91, and that's on flexible and semi-endoscope processing in healthcare facilities. That has had a major impact on the industry, and there have been so many changes and so much research uh, that the document is actually under review, and we hope to have that out very, very shortly. The other one is Amy ST79, although that was released a few years ago, there are going to be, we're working on a few amendments to that to bring it up to date. ST58, which is chemical sterilization and high-level disinfection in healthcare facilities, that is up for review now, and that's a document that we all use in healthcare facilities. Now, ST77, that is a manufacturer's document, but it has an awful lot of impact on us. And that's for the containment devices for reusable uh, device sterilization. Another TIR is TIR34, um, and that's for the water processing of medical devices. That's been out a couple years. It's due for a review, and that's had a great impact on CS, providing information on the water quality. PB70 is yet another manufacturer's document, and that's for the liquid barrier performance and classification of protective apparel and drapes. Uh, TIR-12 probably has the most impact because that is a, it is a manufacturer's document, and it is for the designing, testing, and labeling reusable medical devices for reprocessing in healthcare facilities. This impacts us because this document talks about how to design uh, medical devices so that we can properly clean them and disinfect or sterilize them, and also the IFUs are, that are associated with it. So it has a really big impact on us. So we're working very hard on those. And we have a new TIR that we're working on. And this has come from issues in the field. And this is on a new TIR for processing probes. So that's brand new. And we're just getting started on that. So stay tuned. Maybe our listeners don't know, but AORN, uh, really, they update their guidelines every year. Uh, not all the guidelines, but a few selected guidelines every year. Can you provide a high-level view of these changes? Sure. The biggest change in the AORN guidelines is that they have changed their format. The format has changed to be much more user-friendly. Starting with their numbering system, it is now English numbering instead of Roman numbering. So that really helps when you're performing a reference and also to look up items. And the recommendations have now gone from... Five down to three, and it's based, of course, on the strength 
And so the first one that you'll see is a recommendation, and that benefits the uh, the benefits of the recommendation clearly exceeds the harm, or in the case of a negative recommendation, that the harms clearly exceed the benefits. That is supported by high to moderate quality evidence. And as you know, the AORN guidelines are all evidence-reviewed. They actually even rate the evidence of the uh, guideline. The next is a conditional recommendation, and in that, the benefits of the recommendation are likely to exceed the harms, or in the case of a negative recommendation, that the harms are likely to exceed the benefits. And that is, that is supported by any level of evidence. When the evidence is limited to a specific patient population or clinical situation, the impact of a specific intervention is difficult to separate from the impact of other simultaneously implemented interventions. There's also a few other uh, conditional recommendations for that. Then there's uh, no recommendation. So in the guideline, you will actually see no recommendation. And we'll see that when there is both a lack of evidence and an unclear balance between benefits and harms. And in a case like that, the perioperative team members will need to evaluate whether or not to implement the practice issue. And so there will not be a recommendation made. Also, the recommendation titles have changed, and those two are a lot more user-friendly, easier to find the information. Oh, that's great. It's, it sounds like the guidelines are going to be more user-friendly, like you said, uh, that it's not going to read so much like stereo instructions, so it's going to be easier to find the information you're looking for. What about changes to the actual guidelines? Can you give us a little update on those? Sure. The first guideline that I'd like to talk about is on sterilization. And so in their guideline, what they're talking about is actually going back to the Spalding classification and looking at uh, reusable semi-critical items that are manufacturer-validated for sterilization. And in that case, according to the AORN guideline, we should sterilize those items if possible. So we're taking this to a whole new level. So if we have an item that can undergo sterilization and it's a semi-critical item, the recommendation is that it is for sterilization. Another recommendation is that there are times that we have IFUs that conflict. And what, what occurs if we do have conflicting IFUs? Because sometimes the device, the sterilizer, and the packaging manufacturers don't all coincide. So the recommendation is that we follow the device manufacturer's IFU. Now, they have done the validation. They've done all the necessary testing, and so we need to follow the device manufacturer's instructions for use. Another new recommendation that I find just so interesting is on the FAGO hand pieces. And this is going to have a major impact in sterilization. So recommendation five is that FACO hand pieces may be sterilized in an upright position and held to allow for free drainage of the channel during steam sterilization. For this recommendation, AORN had found research performed by a few different researchers on three different brands of FACO hand pieces. And in the research, they placed the FACO hand pieces both in the vertical and in the horizontal position, and then they performed sterilization. During the sterilization, they monitored the middle of each of the lumen devices. And for those of you who are not familiar with a FACO hand piece, it's about six inches long, has a very, very narrow lumen. So it really is a challenging medical device to sterilize. So in, in these research studies, again, they took the FACO hand pieces, they placed them some vertically, and then they placed them horizontally. 
subjected them to a sterilization cycle. They then monitored the middle of the lumen, and what they found was that they actually got inconsistent results on the, when they were horizontally placed. And the theory is that it being placed horizontally prevented the drainage of both the air and then the steam. Those that were placed vertically had a very ease of drainage, and they easily reached temperature. I think this is a very important recommendation, and something we need to watch that down the road we may start to see Instructions for use, especially for lumen devices, talk about placement in the sterilizer. Under that same recommendation of 5, this is 5.C.3, it talks about unloading the sterilizer. And unloading is so important because we don't want to, at this point, contaminate the devices. What's recommended is that as we unload a sterilizer, that an infrared thermometer or similar device may be used to measure the package temperature. Another recommendation that just came out with the guideline is recommendation 5.D.5, and this talks about the type of PCD used to measure a dynamic air removal cycle for these sterilizers that we use in surgery, often referred to as IUSS. Under this recommendation, we can use a pre-assembled PCD that is validated for that type of dynamic air removal cycles. Having a validated uh, Pre-assembled PCD gives us a much more consistent result. Another recommendation, and this is recommendation 10.8.2, talks about how we label our medical devices, how we label the packages. So if we do, if we are using an instrument tracking system, that can track the medical device back to the load control number of the sterilizer. We can use the instrument tracking system label in lieu of the lot control numbers, which these are the little stickers. And some of us are still handwriting the, the lot control number. So instead of doing that, if you do have an instrument tracking system that can track the medical device back to the load number, we no longer need to use those little stickers or hand, handwritten lot control numbers. Another recommendation that I think is just uh, very much needed is recommendation 12. And this recognizes the importance of having somebody truly competent and knowledgeable for processing medical devices in a healthcare setting. With the complex devices we have, our complex processes and sterilization modalities, it has been recognized that the healthcare organization should assign responsibility and authority for leadership of the steril processing team to a qualified personnel. So no longer can just anybody manage a CS. It has to be somebody that is truly qualified and has the competencies, and education to oversee the leadership of a CS department. Are there any other guidelines from ARN we should be aware of? Yes, recently ARN released the updated guideline for surgical attire. So with this new updated guideline, and I know we just want to talk about some of the changes, but let me give you, just talk about some um, background. Many of the basic requirements for attire have not changed. Clean surgical attire that is laundered by a healthcare accredited laundry facility or at a healthcare organization in accordance with state regulatory requirements and donned at the facility protects patients from exposure to microorganisms that can contribute to a surgical site infection. Now, surgical attire should still be removed when leaving the facility. Surgical attire should not be laundered at home since it is not monitored for quality, consistency, or safety. It also does not provide the necessary parameters to reduce microbial levels in surgical attire. 
However, in the new recommendation, there is not a recommendation to wear long sleeves while preparing instrumentation. Another change is wearing personal attire under scrub attire. Now that was reviewed with no recommendation being made. Now it is recommend, recommended to establish and implement a process for managing personal clothing that may be worn under scrub attire. Some of the features to include are the type of fabric, the amount of fabric that can be seen outside of the scrub attire, and the type of laundering and frequency. The recommendation for head attire are that the scalp and hair must be covered. Head attire must be removed at the end of the shift or when contaminated. When working in the preparation and packaging area, beards must be covered. They've also included some recommendation for identification badges, those we wear throughout the hospital. And so, since it is possible that employing identification badges can be contaminated with pathogens, it's recommended that if employed identification badges do become contaminated with blood or body fluids or other potentially infectious materials, they should be cleaned and disinfected with a low-level disinfectant. Another new recommendation addresses bringing items from the outside of the healthcare facility into the CES prep and packaging area. Some of the personal items that are of concern are the briefcases and backpacks brought in by vendors or repair personnel. The recommendation is to establish a process to prevent contamination of the CES areas by designating a location or a place to place these items or to process them, in other words, to clean them and to contain them. Another recommendation talks about our cell phones and tablets because they research has shown that cell phones and tablets can be highly contaminated with microorganisms, including some that can be potentially pathogenic. So it is recommended to clean these devices and then to perform hand hygiene. Earlier we talked about the guidelines being updated every year. Can you tell our listeners what guidelines are under review and we can look forward to? Yes. Some of the guidelines that pertain to CS that we can look forward to include instrument cleaning, environmental cleaning, and packaging. Packaging we should see any day now. And actually, the entire AORN guidelines are available on the AORN website at www.aorn.org. CSs should have the AORN guidelines. If you don't have them, let's go visit our friends up in surgery and we can review their guidelines. But again, they are available at the AORN website, www.aorn.org. Besides AORN, what other organizations should central sterile processing (laughs) folks be aware of? Well, as I said earlier, of course, the CDC guidelines. However, there are other regulatory agencies that have a major impact on CS, such as the FDA, OSHA, EPA, and surveying organizations such as the Joint Commission. And there are other professional organizations such as SGNA, APIC, and SHEA. Are there any updates to these that we should be aware of? Yes, the Society of Healthcare Epidemiology of America, SHEA, recently published a guidance document, Infection Prevention in the Operating Room Anesthesia Work Area, and that discusses cleaning and disinfection of anesthesia equipment. Many personnel in CS process anesthesia equipment, and so and this addresses how to process this equipment. So one of the recommendations that affects CS pertains to the processing of laryngoscopes. The recommendation is for standard direct laryngoscopes or video laryngoscopes. The reusable handles and blades should undergo at a minimum 
high-level disinfection or sterilization prior to use. Handles that are not able to undergo high-level disinfection according to manufacturer's instructions should not be used. They also recommend replacing reusable laryngoscopes with single-use standard direct laryngoscopes or video laryngoscopes. The reason being, the researchers have found bacteria, blood, and other tissue contamination of laryngoscope blades and handles following low-level disinfection. Infectious disease outbreaks have been associated with contaminated laryngoscopes. Previously, patient care providers preferred reusable laryngoscopes to the single-use laryngoscopes. However, single-use laryngoscopes have evolved considerably in recent years. Their performance may be comparable to reusable laryngoscopes. In fact, reports have shown that the functions of single-use laryngoscopes have improved compared to earlier models and compared favorably with reusable equipment, especially considering that reusable laryngoscopes functions may degrade over time due to wear. Also, battery replacement is another issue resolved with single-use laryngoscopes. Single-use laryngoscopes have fresh batteries, whereas reusable uh, laryngoscopes have batteries that discharge variably with repeated use. And studies have shown that single-use costs may be less than reusable laryngoscopes if the costs of processing of reusable laryngoscopes are included. However, there is a consideration of environmental concerns using disposables, and manufacturers may resolve this in the future with some recycling programs for their products. Another issue addressed, it talks about anesthesia carts, and so this is environmental concerns. This recommendation really relates to CS on how the carts are monitored for environmental disinfection. Research has shown Anesthesia equipment in work areas can be contaminated with potentially pathogenic microbes, which may be transmitted to patients through direct contact with contaminated equipment or from the hands of the patient care providers. To prevent this type of transmission, Shea has recommended that these surfaces be monitored to assess the appropriateness and adequacy of environmental disinfection. Methods for measuring and monitoring the surfaces include the use of visual indicators such as ultraviolet uh, markers, and ATP. The results should be tracked using checklists, and the results should be shared with stakeholders to optimize adherence to recommended disinfection practices. Sharing the results of the testing has shown to improve the cleaning and disinfection of the environment. So from this study and from this recommendation, we may start to see a crossover into the CS area. You know, keeping up with standards and recommendations can really be daunting. Can you give some tips uh, for our listeners and how they can stay up to date with these important recommendations and standards? Sure. At ISHM, we monitor the standards, regulations, and guidelines, and we get the information out to our members as soon as we can. And one thing we do is we do post them on Facebook. We also provide updates in the Process Magazine under Inside Washington. So stay tuned for that when you get your magazine, go to Inside Washington, and we do present the latest on the sterilization standards, guidelines, and regulations. We also provide the update at the ISHM annual conference. So I hope you can all join us at our conference, and we can inform you of anything that is coming out new. Well, that's great. Yeah, like Sue said, the next annual conference is here in Chicago, bringing it home. 
you know, to get some more information on Amy and other standards and recommendations and updates, be sure to come to the, the annual conference. You'll have a good time and you're, you'll really learn a lot. So thank you, Sue, for your expertise and your insight on these recommendations. So thank you, Sue. Glad to be here. Again, thank you, Sue, for the insight into sterilization standards and guidelines. Lots of great information our listeners can use. To receive your CE credit for this episode, the code is GAB, G-A-B, as in Guideline Advisory Board. Simply click on the link in the episode notes, fill out the required info, and select GAB to get your certificate. The holidays are just around the corner, Isham Nation, and from all of us at Isham, we hope you and yours a wonderful holiday and Happy New Year. That's going to do it for this episode of Process This. Keep an ear out for the next episode, the 1st and 15th of every month. Each episode is on demand, so when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy, Isham Nation, and we'll see you next time. Music